Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy of Remembrance with Matthew Blumicky. Today we have Sai Tzu here in studio and we are again going to be talking about what is this path of remembrance? What is walking the path of remembering who you truly are? There are many, many different paths, and everyone has their own unique path. And Sai has been walking the path of Tantra for over 30 years now, and has gone through amazing, amazing experiences, transformations, many deaths and rebirths, I'm sure. (laughs) And a lot has gone on with his life and so I would like to have him on to tell his story so that we can be inspired to know that every every path is a unique path and that there is truth and authenticity in everyone's story Mm. and to try and get those gems so that we can find our own path so thank you, Sai. Hmm. Thank you for joining us. Hmm. I just met Sai um, probably about maybe a few weeks ago, but we connected instantly. And so this is also my first time that I'm going to listen to your story. Hmm. And um, I'd like to, you can start wherever you feel you'd like to start. Okay. How did How did this journey begin? <coughs> I've been doing spiritual practice for 30 years, but um, actually uh, the tantric journey really began 14 years ago in 2005. And I returned to South Africa after living in Europe, uh, mostly in the UK, for, for about four or five years. And while I was over there, I'd been uh, deep in a in a neo-advaita practice. Um, this uh, practice of really realizing that uh, I am that, uh-huh. and and just the direct apperception of the divine in in your in your body mind organism, and this process of inquiry: Who am I? Uh, I am that. Okay, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And it had gone really deep to the point where I'd gone through this uh, Satori awakening experience. Um, and it was also death. Um, my, my company went bankrupt. Um, I, my relationship ended. My marriage ended, um, and I actually found myself for a brief period of time living uh, in the park. Uh, about a week, I lived in Hackney Marsh. Mm. I was sleeping under some beautiful cherry trees. It was, it was the best uh, living rough experience. <laughs> it was <laughs> very styling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had this place surrounded by stinging nettles, oh, and there was wow. like a special path in, mm-hmm. so I felt very safe because it was protected by the nettles. Mm. So nobody else could get in there. And there were two big cherry trees. So I'd wake up in the morning and climb into the trees and feast on on (laughs) cherries for breakfast. Uh, The only thing was the mosquitoes were really hectic. Mm. (laughs) Got to have a little bit of badness in there. Yeah, so when a friend offered me uh, to come and stay in in his squat and sleep there, I I Mm. took that. Mm. Um, So it it was just a week, but... It was it was necessary. I, I threw my shoes away. I, mm-hmm. I walked barefoot for about a year, mm-hmm. um, even when I came back to South Africa. And and I, when the Satori first happened, it, I was sitting with a teacher, a man called Matreya. And um, and I felt like the top of my head unscrew, and the thought stopped, and the uh, identification. Mm. With, um, with being somebody also ended, and 
um, and that was a very powerful process and that lasted for a week full on like that where I, I didn't actually sleep for that week mm. I was um, just I, I would lie down because I knew I needed to rest but I'd just lie down and rest and there were almost no thoughts uh, occasionally a thought would come along but like there was a great emptiness and a great bliss this was when you accepted that you were that is that is that yeah the process yeah was? it kind of dropped in it mm. was like it was that aha moment yeah there was no separation between me and the universe mm. anymore mm. but it, but at the same time it was also like a little dysfunctional i couldn't really um i mean i could wash and eat and things like that but i had no interest in work mm. i lost all interest in in earning money um I let a lot of things just dissolve in my relationship, my business, all of these things. They were already on their way out. Mm. <laughs> and there'd been like a whole process mm. there. But then this was just like the final release. And and shedding. And then it was interesting because at that point, I remember I'd been walking barefoot through London. And I didn't really have anything left. Like my... My business was gone, my work was gone, my relationship was over. And I was like, why am I here? And then I got news actually that my daughter was not well. And mm -hmm. she was back here in South Africa at that time. So I was like, oh, I need to go back to South Africa. Mm -hmm. And I came back and her health thing was resolved relatively quickly. Um, but coming back to South Africa was, um, and then I met this group who were practicing Tantra. And had been doing it for a few years mm. by the time I met them, maybe about three years or so. And I connected with them and I joined them and I started practicing alongside them. And what I realized was I'd done all this spiritual practice for like 15 years, mm. but I hadn't really confronted the essence of my childhood my family life, my deep core wounding and conditioning. Mm. There's a book by um, a Buddhist teacher, Jack Cornfield, called After the Ecstasy, The Laundry. And it really, really okay. felt like that for me. Like yeah. I'd had this ecstasy and this mm -hmm. bliss experience. And then I was like, oh, but I've got all this work to do. Yeah. I've got so much to do on healing. Mm on my relationships and I resisted that for quite a while and I still wasn't in my body for about another year sure. um, I was not really able to work I was kind of wandering around Cape Town mm -hmm. I'd moved down to Cape Town at that time enjoying being on the mountain um, I'd entered into quite an intense love affair um, with an amazing woman um, I was learning a lot from that uh, sexual energy and that love affair It's mm -hmm. part of this tantric practice and then in 2006 um, I got stabbed I sure. was I was um, I was walking through Woodstock late at night convinced in the purity of everything <laughs> it's all God yes <laughs> and I am that <laughs> what to fear <laughs> And my, my human body discovered that there was something to fear. A group mm. of guys, which was like a gang initiation or something, they chased me mm. and um, put knives in me, into my body. And um, yeah, and my, my jeans were soaked with blood. It was such a bad stabbing. Uh, they stabbed me um, in my right leg, mm. and just like where the buttock joins the leg. I was stabbed there. And, um, yeah, I, like there was one moment when eventually I, I jumped on a moving car and, and ended up in the police station in Woodstock. And, um, and the police ran away. <laughs> they all got a fright. <laughs> I don't know what happened. And there was a moment when I was holding the wound and I was trying to call for help and I had no strength in my voice. Mm. It's like, help, mm. help. <laughs> And that was the moment I thought, oh, shit, I could be an actual cuck here. Mm. Um, anyway, it, it took me like a year to learn how to walk again. 
and there was about about three months in absolute agony where the nerve was severed so the nerve damage had me in such pain and that really brought me back into my body mm -hmm. after that awakening mm -hmm. so what does that mean mean that you your body your you weren't in your body because everyone would think what, what do you what do you mean yeah <laughs> we are our bodies yeah um there was like a, a level of disconnect because i was in this strong idea of spirituality mm -hmm. and in this meditative state in this quite blissful state a lot of the time but it wasn't fully embodied it was like it was like something that i'd done with my mind and this really is that that neo-advaita practice is very much about shifting your mind mm -hmm. shifting your belief system utterly Mm -hmm. reprogramming and so that reprogramming had happened and it felt like any kind of restriction in the crown had, had released mm -hmm. but it wasn't going down to my feet I, I d didn't feel like um, I was really here I didn't mm -hmm. want to be here mm -hmm. you know I wanted to be in some state of spiritual ecstasy mm -hmm. I wanted to be with God I wanted to be in heaven I didn't want to be on earth mm -hmm. So the pain really made me realize that I was in a human body, that I was on earth, that I was in a place where there is limitation, where there is restriction and constriction. And, and so the Tantra journey is about embracing all of that. Mm. It's not just heaven, it's also hell. And to understand that on earth, it's a mixture of heaven and hell. Yeah. Mm. And only really by not denying any of it do we really come to know ourselves fully. And that means also accepting our shadow as well as our light. And, you know, so after the stabbing, I, I would get into these rages. Mm. I would find myself exploding with anger. And part of that was trauma. But part of it was old anger from my childhood. So, you know, I went to stay with my mother for a while while recuperating. I think I threw a cup across the kitchen and smashed it, sure. shouting at her. Um, you know, and things coming up around my childhood. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, right? So despite all that spiritual work and that big spiritual awakening, um, there were some core fundamental things which hadn't been addressed. Mm -hmm. In, in, our, in our Tantra school, the founder of the school, he talks about um, putting sugar on shit. You know, and he says like a lot of spirituality is piling sugar on shit. People do self-development stuff. They develop their self. Mm -hmm. Now they've got a developed self. Mm -hmm. You know? So would you say that, um, you know, all of this... 15 years of practicing to rechange your mind and everything was all of that was just to realize and then to actually do the work and when I say work I mean the healing of, of fully embracing who it is to be a human and, and a spiritual being at the same time yeah yeah I mean I Because so, I just want to try and like, because there's value in both, right? Of there's course. value in, in all of that mind training and there's value in, in working through your childhood shit and all of the, the things that we deal with on a human basis. Mm. A, lot of, a lot of the spirituality I was doing before, the spiritual practice I was doing before was to try and uh, get somewhere, mm. to try and get something to try and be something, to try and improve, uh, to be happier, to... No, it's not true. It wasn't entirely that. I mean, there was a core where there was like a, a desire just to know whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. And so that momentum did carry me through. Yeah. So it wasn't entirely self-centered. Mm. But there was a big part of that spiritual practice which was about enhancing who I... Who I I was mm -hmm. instead of wanting to be a better person 
yeah, wanting to be better mm. instead of just wanting to see what is really there, mm. you know. And then I started to discover that what was really there was a, a mix of a whole lot of things. And then I started getting real about it. Mm. Um, and that was part of the journey into Tantra and acknowledging where I wasn't very nice, you know, or where I had certain desires, which I didn't like, mm. which my mind didn't like, which didn't feel acceptable. Okay. You know, yeah. and so this is this is the the tantric path. It's about examining. So you know, while many other spiritual paths, they they say put the desire to one side. So the yogic path, when the desire comes up, you mm-hmm. go back to your practice. Mm. You know. Okay. And and you keep on practicing the the good things. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. You keep on practicing the the um. You follow the rules, mm-hmm. and then over over many many years, you build up to being that thing. Okay. And so this is often, you know, the path of the yogi. That really, the yogis who I see, you know, in their seventies, you know, they really start cultivating this beautiful fragrance mm. about them. Um, and it's because it's an incremental path. Yeah. Tantra is a more radical path. So it says, go into the desire, go into the shadow. Mm. Drink the poison, mm. right? And then with drinking of the poison, you discover. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's called the lightning bolt path because it's very rapid. Mm. Because this, this thing of going into the poisons activates everything. Yeah. Going into the desires mm. activates everything. It's also dangerous. It's very easy to get lost mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's taxing on the nervous system. So it's also very good, even if you even if you are mainly following the path of tantra rather than yoga, it's very good to do yoga also, <laughs> because otherwise you come out and your nervous system's fried. Yeah. And so I know a lot of tantrikas you've had to recuperate mm. from their tantric journey mm. had to take some years and nourish their bodies and repair their nervous systems mm. because it is so much energy so quickly. Mm. Wow. Mm. So, so no, the, the time before was not wasted at all. It mm. was very useful. Okay. Uh, however, I, I was, when I was initiated at age 12, it was into Osho Neo Sanyas. Mm. And Osho, there were thousands and you know, tens, hundreds of thousands of people following him. So although it was an initiation into a strong current of energy, mm-hmm. there was no exact teaching. So okay. I didn't have a, a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then when I, when I kind of moved on to the magical path, I did that for a, little, uh, a couple of years, Western ritual magic. And I kind of had a teacher there, but he was very tricky and he wasn't present with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... By the time I came to Tantra, uh, the founder wasn't teaching men. He only taught women. And so I never really had a teacher um, as such. So a lot of it was trial and error Mm. and figuring out things and reflecting. And I mean, I'd say my deepest teacher has been a boga, Mm. actually learning from this medicine plant which it actually felt like when I started working with a boga in 2013, it was the first time I'd had a consistent teacher showing me things mm. and pointing out things. Mm. Um, but, but before then, I'd learned from many people and I'd kind of figured out what was the difference between this kind of self-development and a spiritual work which is starting to unravel you starting to undo you and um, and really cleaning out the basement and that's a big work you mm. know, it takes some mm. time um, but that is that's Tantra you know? yeah. so that's the Tantric path mm. of meeting all your 
desires, all your fears, and going into them rather than avoiding them. Okay. Yeah, there, there's always a lot of talk of um, love and light and mm. positivity, and and so tantra is all about that, but it's also about that balance, right, between the the light and the dark. Is as much love as you give, you must also give the love to to your hatred or to your fears or to. Yeah, it's working with polarity. Mm. It's working with so it's understanding the rule of polarity, mm-hmm. the rule of duality. Okay. That you know, as high as it goes, it also goes so low. Mm. As blissful as it is, it's also mm. uh, horrific. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's not denying that, um, and it's also it's bringing the heart to that. So, like, are we able to? Yes, we're able to love when it's it's nice and it's pretty. Yes. You know, but are we able to love murderers and rapists? Mm. Can we love them? Mm. You know, can we keep our heart open in the face of horror? Mm. Or is our heart only open when it's when it's sweet and it's good and it's pleasant? You know, so this is the challenge. Um, you know, can we? not disassociate when our most radical buttons are being pushed, you know. So, you know, Tantra will create situations like this. You know, one of the, one of the deep works um, in, in the school where I studied was working with, with jealousy around open relating. And it wasn't that you had to have an open relationship. Mm. It was just that this was such a strong fire to sit in because we're so conditioned um, into monogamy in this culture. Yeah. So to sit in the fire of your lover being with somebody else would bring up everything. Yeah. So that was, was a good practice, mm. right? Oh, okay, here it is. I mean, you know, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. what we discovered was like more work with the nervous system and, you know, like, okay, not too much at once. But, uh-huh. you know, in those early days, we were just diving in. We were experimenting with everything. Mm. So you know we would we would do these these radical practices, mm. um, and and then activate all your emotions and all your feeling and totally disassociate and not be present, and then the practice was can you come back to presence, can you come back to peace, can you come back to love, even in these uh, situations where we're confronted with this survival fear or this mm. fear of loss. Mm. And the thing is with, like, with kind of the violence where I went through it, it's kind of dangerous, you can die. Mm. But working with it in the sphere of, um, like, relating or the sexual sphere, you can't die. So it's in a way it's a bit safer. But it, it's, it's also very taxing on the nervous system. Mm. So <coughs> new ways of working with it now are coming through mm. a bit more gentle. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so now then, why why would you want to? Why would you? What are the benefits of of going through all of these fears and and putting yourself in that situation? Because mm. I can imagine many people right now are like, you, you know, why, mm. why would I ever want to see my loved one or someone else or yeah. put myself in these kind of situations? Yeah. Um, what I said earlier mm. teaches you how to keep your heart open no matter what because there is going to come a time when you will be separated from your loved one even if it's you know maybe it's through death mm. one of you will die and then you will need to face it mm. there's a time when you will be separated from your own life when you will die and you will need to face that you know um, and there are many situations in the world which are terrible and we can pretend that they're not there or try and not hear about them, or we can face them and keep loving. So the loving heart is open no matter what, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't mean you have to face this particular situation, but it's, it's, a, it's a way of developing, cultivating that open-heartedness of testing yourself in it. There are different ways also. Mm. You know, you can also do it around, um, you know, around money, for some people that's that's more activating. 
Like, can I be in poverty? Can I handle wealth? All of these things, mm. you know, and still keep my heart open, mm. you know, in these situations. Can I, um, you know, truly be with... Uh, and so it's about cultivating capacity. Mm. And it's also about becoming indestructible. You know, so there's a way when, you know, between the two works, between some of the deep medicine spaces. So, you know, if you take like a really big dose of a boga, it, you mm. know, it, it really shatters your mind. It, 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 it brings up everything that you thought you were and it shows you that you're not that. Mm. So it's like a very deep death. And then, and then, if you if you can go through the same on the on the in the realm of sexuality, any resistance there, once you can encompass all of that, one becomes kind of indestructible. Mm. It's like it can not that nothing can touch you because you get touched by everything, very deeply because your heart is soft now and it's open. Mm. But you have you have capacity. You've built this tremendous capacity, mm. and. Um, and that's why we go through these ordeals in a way. You know, we go through these ordeals to build that capacity so we're able to stay open, stay loving, stay present, mm. no matter what. Mm. So I want to take it one step deeper. And why would someone want to have an open heart? Like, why should we strive to, to, to be loving? I know mm. it's, I mean, it, it, it talks for yeah. itself, right? But Good question. It's oh, a good question. Uh, because when your heart is open, you are transparent. There's now no separation between you and God. And there, there's a tremendous blissfulness in that. Mm-hmm. It feels good. Like after you've opened your heart, then it feels painful to close it. Mm-hmm. It feels painful to be contracted. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why be contracted when you can be relaxed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get so used to the pain and, and, yeah. the, and the contraction. Yeah. And so, mm. and when we start to notice the contraction, we're like, whoa, it's like, you know, like this oh, tight, yes. tight yeah. pair of jeans, you know, mm. like take mm. them off, relax. Mm. You know, like, whoa. And and that's how the heart feels, you know. So when you're loving, the heart is open. And and so that that tightness of being is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. And it feels good. Mm-hmm. It feels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing that you can't <laughs> explain with the words really. Only it can only touch mm. the surface and yeah. through experiencing or just um, touching that sense of that relaxing that you were saying or that mm. sense of ah or yeah. that that is really where you feel it and you'll know that's why you want mm. to do it mm. or get to that place. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. So you mentioned the boga. Mm-hmm. and it being your biggest teacher. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. Um, there is this notion that plants can be our teachers. Many of the psychedelics, the plant medicines, as they call them, are there's a spirit connected to the plants and we can tap into that spirit and allow that spirit to teach us many different things about who we are mm. and and that is another path is the walking that path of showing walking with the plant to show who you truly are mm. to integrate that to walk it and to accept those the uh, some of the traumas that you've gone through to accept what you have been before and realize that that doesn't have to be you that you can change mm. those realities mm-hmm. speaking about for example if a plant shows you that you were a very mean person to to someone you loved mm. 
that's something that you would have to accept and to realize that those actions can continue and you will be that person mm. or you can say thank you to the teacher of that plant and say that it has taught you now to to look at that and to change that so you don't have to identify with that person mm. Mm. so you say boga was is one of the teacher plants that you Yeah, so I must actually correct myself. Okay. My 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 biggest teacher has been love and relating. Mm. That's been my biggest teacher. Mm. Um, but yeah, uh, after that, there've been some teachers in human body who've been really significant. But really, in terms of the depths that I've been to, Aboga has been yeah one of my major major teachers. Mm. You know what happens with with a plant is it, it's often got a certain kind of um, experience that it takes you into. So you eat the plant and then you have an altered state of consciousness and that altered state often is similar when you eat the same plant. It's got a flavor to it. It's got mm. a feeling to it. Mm. Mm. And certain plants which take you into these particular states of consciousness, they create state changes uh, in your biochemistry and those particular states of consciousness that you're in um, show you stuff about yourself mm. which you couldn't have seen mm. or which you weren't able to see they show you your blind spots somebody once I also serve a boga uh, somebody who I gave a boga to he said it was like the iceberg came out of the water so he said wow. before you're trying to look through the water and you can sort of see it but it's all refracted and diffracted mm -hmm. and he said it came out of the water and he could walk around it Mm. and see the whole iceberg mm. so he could suddenly see himself in a whole new way mm -hmm. so it allows you to see your blind spots it allows you to mm. see other aspects of you and that's the great benefit to these uh, teacher plants you have these insights which were maybe there all along but you didn't have access to them something was preventing you mm. so the work that I've done with uh, Iboga has um has really revealed places to me which I didn't know about. And so it's, it's, it's taken me deep into some parts of self. Uh, and, you know, often you're like, oh, oh, <laughs> oh my God. Are you ready for I'm this? such an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> what was I doing? Yeah. Why was I behaving that way? Mm. Why was I justifying that thing? Why didn't I see this? Mm. You know, my um, when I when I first started working with a boga, um, iboka, iboga, many ways to say it. Mm. When I first started working with it, my my partner at the time she said, "Oh, the first time it you still had you were still a bit spiky, but it's like the spikes became made of rubber mm. instead of like you know sharp." And then she said, after a few more journeys, the spikes went entirely. Wow. So, you know, it really has made me, it's helped me open my heart. Mm. It's helped me soften. It's helped me um, find easier ways with things. It's helped me be kinder. You know? mm. Really shown me, shown me how, you know, like one of the things they say in Gabon with the Boga is uh, Bukaya. And it means... Um, we are together. Wenya mm -hmm. as one. We are together as one. Mm -hmm. And it shows that what what we do to somebody, we do to ourselves. We are one body. So whatever um, affects one of us affects all of us. You know. So we're so busy taking care of this one mm -hmm. within the skin, but actually we are also this one. Mm. You know, it's just a bigger one. Mm. You know, and then we are, oh, we're looking after humans, but oh, but what about the rest? There's, you know, so we start with self and then blood family and then tribe and then country and then humanity and then this planet against Mars, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Earth first, you know, whatever. Yeah. But, you know, like actually this is, you know, God is all of us. Mm. We are not so separate because whatever we do affects all of us mm. and a boga starts to show you this but it doesn't show it to you like some other 
medicines they give you this cosmic view yeah boga doesn't show it to you in a cosmic view mm. it shows it to you in a very very detailed particular mm. view mm. like when you didn't wash your dishes you know somebody else had to come and wash them and then they were late for whatever mm. and they didn't do the thing and the thing and the thing and the thing mm. so it's like very practical mm. like down to earth here mm. oh okay that's where it was out of alignment. That's where I was not loving or kind. Mm. Mm. So this teacher of oneness through the very nitty-gritty practicalities mm. of life. Also teaching you to take responsibility for your actions. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And then on that note that really brings up something that I would love to dive into and and to be the last sort of topic to to leave with everyone is the the notion of taking responsibility for for one's actions and and that speaks to to being a man and what true sacred masculinity is about mm. and I'd just like to hear your views on what is the sacred masculine um, because it's my feeling that we have lost what it what mm. man really is mm. to me and growing up as a young man mm-hmm. you know it was always it always felt to me like to be a man I must be tough and I've got to I've got to know what I need to do I've mm. got to I've got to have a plan mm. and I've got to be able to make money. Mm. Got to be, you know, good at making businesses and um making decisions and mm. providing mm. and and being sustainable. Mm. And um that's that is a view of what I thought a man would be and there are parts of me that are still Hmm. holding on to that and and trying to uh, achieve that Hmm. and I do see that there's a lot of benefit in some of it Hmm. but I'd like to just know what you think yeah you know I don't think that's entirely wrong Mm -hmm. you know it's like those views of 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 that um, kind of protector provider Mm. um, aspect of the masculine it's not wrong but like the orientation like, is it coming from the heart, mm. you know? And is it including the, the bigger picture? Or is it just like, I'm looking after my family, or I'm looking after myself? Mm. Um, that kind of the, the male biochemistry, testosterone or whatever, gives us a great capacity to take action mm. on things. Mm. We can like, bah, take action, push through, make, make stuff happen. That's like part of the spark mm. of, of, of male energy. And um, the question is, what is that being used for? Mm-hmm. So for, for me, this, this thing around responsibility is it's a deep responsibility to the heart, to standing as like, you know, that, like bringing that warrior quality to love, mm. you know, it's mm. like first and foremost, um, we're gonna love, love everything and everybody, mm-hmm. and in that love, but also starting with those closest to us, mm. our partners, our family, to love them, to be kind, to support them. Mm. You know, so so for me, the this question of the sacred masculine is really about this unwavering heart. Like that will be there no matter what. So you're sick and you're dying. You lose your beauty. Your, your, um, you you going crazy and screaming and throwing things at me. I'm still loving. Mm. Maybe I'm I'm you know getting out of the firing line, <laughs> and I'm going on a walk while you calm down. Yeah. yeah. But I'm never closing my heart. Mm. I'm never stopping loving. And so I mean. You know, first of all, in relationship, in, you know, in relationship to one's lover, mm-hmm. one doesn't close one's heart or shut down from relating or relationship. Mm. 
you know, you don't avoid that. But then it goes wider than that. You're not avoiding life. We're not resisting life. Mm. We're not shutting ourselves off in a computer game or a sports show or even in like a business to save the world mm. or a spiritual practice now. Oh, yes, I'm going to save everyone because we're going to... Mm. But are you loving them? Are you supporting them? Are you holding them? Mm. Even when they're difficult, even when they cause problems. And then sometimes that love has to come with disciplining something. Sometimes we have to discipline ourselves. Mm. So, so are we loving to ourselves? And then, oh, I'm loving to myself. I just ate a tub of ice cream. Well, actually, it's not loving. Mm. You know? Mm. So also, you know, with the people around us, if somebody's now going out and stabbing people, maybe the most loving thing to do is to kill them because they're running around stabbing people and they're coming to stab people who here and you need to kill them. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to hate them while you do that. You maybe need anger and force and direct energy mm -hmm. to take care of that. But it can still be that this is with love. Mm -hmm. It's coming from my heart. This is the place that I'm operating from. So, where do you think it got skewed, or how do you think men got disconnected mm. from the heart? Have you heard of this concept of Wutiko? Mm -mm. Okay, so it's a uh, it's a it's an, an, one of the Native American tribes. Uh, it's a term from one of the Native American tribes. I'm not sure which one, uh, but they talk about this. They talk about it as a disease, something called Wetiko. And the story goes that there was a hunter, and he was the best hunter in the tribe. He could get the most game, mm. and uh, he was bringing back the game to the tribe. Everybody loved him. They told him what a fantastic hunter were. They had never seen a hunter like him. He was amazing. Everybody was eating and feasting and really good and happy. And, and he suddenly thought, why should I give my food to everyone? I'm catching it. Mm. So he started to keep his food to one side. He would dry the meat and store it. And then he would bring a little bit back. And then he would go, I'll give you some if you give me a favor. You do something for me. Mm. Oh, you give me uh, that headdress. You give me that horse. Mm. You give me that. And then some of the other hunters started doing it. Oh, okay. This is how you do it. He's the best hunter. Look at all the wealth he's getting. Mm. Mm. Right? And so then they started doing it. And then people started starving in the tribe because there wasn't enough food. Mm. Even though some people were washing the clothes, doing other things, they didn't hunt. Mm. So they didn't have access to the meat. So by doing this, it created hierarchy, created separation, it created division. Mm. Right? Mm. He was thinking of himself first. He wasn't loving everyone. And in their terms, it's viewed as a parasite, mm. like a kind of entity, yeah. like this parasitic entity. And they said when the white people came to uh, North America, we recognized that they were all infected with Wetika. So it was like an infection. And then it spreads from one person to another because the one guy got it and then the others were like, oh, we must also look after ourselves because mm. if we don't, we're not going to survive. So this, it's yeah, like, yeah. there's another book called The Trance of Scarcity, mm. like this belief that somehow there's, a li there's limited resources, mm. you know? Mm. And, you know, one of the things in that, that early Advaita work is to learn that it, it is all an aspect of self. So we're traveling through this journey, through this world. And so everything which appears to be external is also us. Right? And so then there can't be any scarcity. Because what, what's you're going to run out of you. Mm. Right? Mm. But it's so deeply embedded, this kind of, this fear of survival. Am I going to survive? Am I going to have enough to eat? Am I going to have enough? And so that's the first contraction, isn't it? Mm. Am I going to be able to stay alive? Mm. And that's fear of death. Mm -hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. So by becoming indestructible, as we talked about earlier, by losing my fear of loss, by losing my fear of death, mm-hmm. by knowing that I can never lose. What, how can you lose love? Mm. I'm never going to lose love. Mm. It's infinite. I'm never going to lose life. Mm. If I die, it's just a change in energy form. And by going through these experiences with certain medicine plants, going through death, you become indestructible. Once we're indestructible, once we know that we can't lose anything, then we don't have to hold on to and not share. Mm. So this aspect of the masculine, like the work begins within. Know that you are not in danger of dying. Know that you cannot lose love. That you will not be abandoned. Mm. Right? And come to know that. Because it can be a theory. Mm. Right? Mm. But coming to know it, and, and that's where I, we talk about the various tantric practices. You come to know it. Oh, I can't lose love. Because I am the love. Mm. You know? And, and then we come to know it, and then we don't have to resist. And... You know, mm. and then we can share, we can support one another. But it's it's a practice every day. Mm. You know, I always find myself in it. Like sometimes I, you know, because I I I work freelance, and so I have a slow month. You know, I don't have as many sessions, I don't have as many clients, I don't have as many students. Mm-hmm. There's less money. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I can't buy this thing for that person because, you know. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not true in the greatest sense. It's like right now you can't because you just need to mm. take care of these things. Mm-hmm. But it's so funny because I speak to people and they're like, yes, but I need to, you know, like pay my rent and buy food at the end of the month. I'm like, well, have you ever not been able to? Somehow it always does work out, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stress and fear and mm. confusion in the process of it working out. But it does always work out. So can you trust that you are supported by life? So it's like when we fall out of trust with life, that's when we, that's when we become infected by wetiko. Mm. You know, and we need to keep the separation. And, and that's, I think, where the masculine kind of went off course. Okay. Mm. Mm. That's big. But I think that was good. Mm. I really, really enjoyed your story, Mm. your insights, and Mm. it was very nice to to connect with you on a deeper level. Mm. So I want to say thank you. Mm. Thank you to everyone. Thank you for listening. For listening. If you made it this far, Mm. well done. <laughs> so one thing before we leave, we gotta ask Sai. What can we do? What's super simple, mm-hmm. quick, something that we can do daily or whenever we we remember to start on the path of opening our heart. Because hmm. ultimately. Hmm. What I've taken from this conversation is that we all want to live with a more open heart. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of a practice. I mean, the the realization is that we're not separate. Mm. You know, in Lakesh, this is another version of me. Mm. But I'm I'm trying to think of like a a practice to really ground that mm. in a very in a very simple way and or maybe just a realization something a mantra them just saying that we are all one <laughs> <laughs> It's it's the saying it is good, mm. but but the 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 realization of it, mm. you know, like the the knowing of it, mm. you know, I, I think I think the 
the, the like the fundamental practice is to be in your body, you know, and that's about like really, because that's also where the safety comes when you're okay to be in your body, you know, and and to embody, and to, you know, like okay, it's it all starts from here, because this is our vehicle in this life, so the we can connect with our hearts when we are in our bodies. If we're out of our bodies, if we've got some ideas, some thoughts, we're, then we're separate, right? Because mm -hmm. we're somewhere else. When we like truly in our bodies, the more we are embodied, the more we are realizing that we are connected, mm -hmm. you know? So, so it's, it's, it's those sort of things which, which bring you into your body. You know, whether it's eating consciously, whether it's um, some sort of uh, embodiment meditation. There's some wonderful embodiment meditations mm -hmm. where you literally, you just sit and you feel your body. Like, okay, here are my toes. Right? They have got toes. Okay. Here are my ankles. Okay. Here are my knees. Here are my fingers. You know? Um... There's a there's the, here here we go. There's a Taoist practice. Mm. And it's one of like the Innocent. core, the innermost. <laughs> yeah, you know, smiling already. You know, that mm. I mean, I think that that is just such a great foundational practice. Mm. You just smile into your body parts, mm. or you smile them, have them smiling, and smile every part of your body. Mm. Smile your genitals. Smile your eyes. Smile your nose. You know, that's like a really good way. Mm. And of course, also that smiling is creating this, this sense of joy and connection mm. with, you know, mm. with everything else, realizing that we're not separate. So, yeah, if I had to like really say like one practice to really help with this, that, that, that in, the inner smile. Mm. The inner smile. Yeah, you can find it everywhere. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you.